I'm Jay Mac. And I'm Jess. And you're listening to Base Code Podcast. All right, so back for another episode. Oh, yeah, back from vacay. Yeah, we actually don't call it vacation in Australia, we just call it holidays. <laughs> That's much cooler sometimes, like, when you pick up on little nuances of, like, I guess, proper English, the proper English language. I wouldn't say that anything in Australia uses proper English, but, um, yeah, no, in Australia we use kind of this bastardized version of, I guess, English, um, where we kind of abbreviate everything, and, yeah, it's good times. Cool. And, uh, yeah, I was actually, I took a few days um, myself, so, right. so that was that was good. It was good to get a, a refresher. Gave me some clarity on maybe some things I want to work on next. So that's that's fun. Yeah, I saw you uh, starting starting up a new hype train. I'm quite curious to see what comes of that. I'm never going to be as good as, you know, obviously like some of the other people in the community about, you know, secret projects and, and, and buzzing stuff. But, you know, I guess in a practical standpoint, like I just want to make sure to give this particular project like the best chance. Because I, you know, we've talked about it before, but I am kind of full time on my own projects now. So, you know, working on something that has the potential to have, a, you know, reach or revenue or whatever it is, anything that you know builds the audience is, is definitely worth it. So, so you got to try. And I think it creates like a little bit of, not really accountability, but I guess it gives you a bit of a commitment, without having to go the whole way and say what you're doing and then let people down. So yeah, I'm all for the hype. Oh, exactly. There's motivation on both sides, I think. I mean, it, it gets me excited, too, to like be like, okay, I, I told people I'm going to do this. I'm going to go do it. Yep. So, so yeah. <laughs> any uh, any secret hints you can share with anyone here? We'll probably release this podcast after I'll announce what it is. I'm not going to draw it out like forever. That's That takes mastery that I don't have. Uh, so hopefully early next week, um, probably around the same time this episode hits, uh, I'll be talking about it anyways. So... And I guess just to that point for um, the audience, you know, a lot of these we pre-recorded. Um, so this is kind of the first episode that we've recorded in full, you know, kind of after we've been sharing the podcast and kind of refining it and getting it out on all the all the players. Uh, so, you know, definitely um, leave us, you know, reviews and feedback. Uh, send us feedback on Twitter. Uh, you know, we've got about six more of these we want to make, but... Uh, you know, we're also considering going on past the things in uh, the base code field guide as well. So let us know. Yeah, definitely. Any uh, any reviews would be appreciated. Hopefully positive, but negative as well. <laughs> yeah, honestly. I mean, I, I like it all. I mean, it's all a learning experience. So whatever. Hit us up on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Yep. So what have we got today? Episode five. I know the numbers this time. Good. Anyways, this is uh, Big Blocks, which is Chapter 5, or Practice 5, from Basecode. And um, this is probably the most tactical chapter, I would think. I have, like, processes and, like, you know, flowcharts in this chapter. <laughs> so there's, like, some pretty interesting interesting stuff to get through. So we'll, we'll see. There's a lot of code samples in this chapter, too, which I really liked. Yeah. I feel like it might be a bit tricky to, to stay with the, the chapter because it really does follow this one example through the whole chapter. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I think we'll we'll give it a good shot. Yeah. So I guess as a reader, I'm, I remember you had said you liked this chapter as well. So what are some of the things you liked here? Uh, well, actually, I reread it again recently. 
I find with all of the chapters, actually, it's good to good to read them every now and then to yeah refresh yourself. Um, this one starts out talking about one-liners um, and about how kind of yeah the the number of like the, the the amount of code you've got and how it relates to readability, and so it talks about one-liners and the the lack of readability for that. And so I actually got I started thinking about one-liners when I started thinking about why we like them. I think it's because we want to avoid temporary variables because they always feel nasty because you've got to track them in your head. And we also don't want our actions to be nested inside, you know, these, these if blocks and stuff. So if you can have like a, a terse little one-liner, but I think where you come unstuck is when you start striving for them for the sake of having them as opposed to making the code more readable. But yeah, I think... For the most part, I really like using anything where I can prevent, you know, repeating the same thing over and over or if I'm doing like some sort of like null coalescing in a certain scenario, um, I think they're good. But when you're actually trying to stuff real logic into them, I think is, yeah, is when it's nicer to break it out um, and maybe extract it to a method, whatever it might be. So that's what I have to say about one-liners. Do you have any any thoughts on one-liners? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think... I'm on the same page with one-liners. I think what's important is readability and like one-liners aren't like mutually exclusive. Like you can have, you know, one-liners that are readable. I think the measurement for me is complexity, you know, because my whole like, I guess, tagline or, or, or subheading for the base code is, you know, writing less complex, more readable code. And I, I think there's importance to both of those statements because, again, something can be terse but still be readable or something cannot be very complex but be very terse and not communicate so you got to kind of have both of those um, and I talk about that I guess in, in, in the introduction a bit more but that's that's kind of where I stand on one-liners like I don't believe in hard rules and that goes both ways like I don't believe that every method should be under 15 lines I also don't believe that every method has to be one line you know somewhere in between is you know where things land for me and uh, so really it comes down to to the complexity and, and to the readability so yeah and i think when you and like to, to start talking about big blocks in general sometimes when you have that extra bit of complexity you know one of the one of the most common approaches to deal with that is to extract a method for it so one of the practices you kind of talk about is is to start adding comments to your code just temporary comments kind of explaining the flow of like of, of the code that you've got that's this big block and looking for um for patterns that are standing out, for things that might be able to be extracted, for things that aren't at the right level, I think as you call it. Um, so oftentimes you'll find in big blocks, you have a mixture of, of levels. So yeah, one of the first steps is, is trying to tease out where, where those lines are and what might be appropriate for you know, this certain part of your code, what actually belongs in this, this controller or a job or whatever it might be. And and what can be sort of extracted out to somewhere where it makes more sense and is more encapsulated and contained. Yeah, I mean, base code kind of outlines a three-step process of recognize, regroup, and refactor. What you're talking about is, is kind of that recognize step. And I think most people can probably tell that, you know, it has some influences from things like single responsibility principle. Like, so, of course, when you come across a big block of code, you know, something... 30, 40, 50, 100 lines, whatever it is, then the first thing I kind of recommend doing is going in and kind of recognizing not necessarily just what the code does, but kind of 
where the code lives within the entire code base, right? Like what is its level? And like you said, this can be a high level, this can be a low level. I kind of equate it to like uh, reading levels, like kind of educationally. So like, you know, the analogy I use in the book is like, you know, if you're in fourth grade, it's not expected that you have to read at an eighth grade level. And, you know, conversely, we don't necessarily want you reading at a second grade level either, right? Like the goal is if you're in fourth grade, then you want to read, you know, fourth grade books. And same in the code. If you're in a controller, I want to read things that are making sense at the controller level. I don't necessarily want to look at database connections, right? And vi vice versa, I don't really want to still be dealing with things that are having to do with maybe routing, right? Like I want to kind of be kind of into the business logic, but not so hardcore where I have to see how things are saved and stored or processed or whatever. I want to get the broad strokes uh, kind of at that level. And so that's not an easy thing to do. But again, if you look at those things like the primary actions, that can kind of help. <clears throat> For me, like, I also think it comes down to the size of the project like take for example the the controller example a controller can kind of do a lot of a lot of things can happen when you know when a request comes in it might validate it um it might deal with a response there's all sorts of things that can happen and i don't necessarily see a problem with putting a lot of that in the controller to start with at least if the project is very small there's only a couple of rules because you might find you're actually adding complexity by you know, extracting the validation somewhere else and extracting, you know, the response handling somewhere else. But it is the kind of thing that you can outgrow quite quickly if your your project is going to get quite large. Um, Absolutely. But I think it's one of those opportunities to refactor. You don't have to follow certain things from the get-go and just be like, I always, you know, in every project, I'll always use an external, you know, my validation will be stored somewhere else. I think it's nice to start off with just you know, write the code that works and then refactor it. And as long as you've got tests, those sorts of changes are very low risk. For sure. I mean, you know, in order to even apply the practices of this, you have to have like the big block in the first place. Yeah. And so, you know, yeah, if you're doing validation of two fields, saving it directly to database and then redirecting to, if that's all the controller does, like that's maybe a half dozen line of code, you know, I, I just don't consider that a big block in my mind, but again, another developer might. And so that's why some of this stuff ends up being a, a bit subjective. But nonetheless, I think if you can apply this process around it. And if you decide that your threshold is, you know, five lines of code, then, then you have kind of these heuristics to go through and say, okay, if I'm going to be that strict, you know, and that's kind of my limit, then how do I make decisions about what belongs here and what doesn't? And, and I think the process can still be applied. You know, the, the whole recognizing, regrouping, and refactoring can still be applied. Yeah. It also raises the question of, of consistency as well. You might have, you know, start off with a controller that's doing something quite simple, um, but then you have another controller that's got a lot more lines of code. So for that controller, you do start, you know, doing using some alternative patterns. And so then you've got to kind of make this judgment call of, do I do it the same way everywhere? for consistency or do I keep the simple thing simple and the complex thing, you know, using a different pattern to handle it? Yeah. And I don't really have a good answer for that one. Um, I do tend to err on the side of consistency, but I'm curious to hear what you think about that. Well, we're probably going to talk about that later with the final <laughs> practice of symmetry. So I'm going to punt that one for a little bit. Okay. Generally speaking though, for, for you and the audience, because I like providing an answer uh, when asked a question. So 
um, yes, I, I would try to be consistent. And I think that's a totally fair point that even if you decide a certain block of code isn't that large and so you don't apply the practices, but you apply it somewhere else and you started to develop validation separately and these other things, well, now you have, just like last episode, these other objects that can do some cool things for you and it's going to make it easier to chop up another big block of code, you know, next time. I think the other thing that can complicate matters is when you're working with a team and particularly when you're working for like a company, like often you've got like the peer review process, right? So if you do something one way, it's got to be reviewed. If you want to then change it later because you're, you know, the, the code base is migrating, it's got to be reviewed again. It's got to go through testing, QA, all these things. Whereas I feel like for my smaller personal projects, I'm happier to kind of do the simple small thing because I know I can refactor it. Yeah, that's totally a fair point. Like individually, you have the opportunity to be more nimble. You can be flexible and change more rapidly with time. But yeah, if you're a team or a company, yeah, you might have to have, you know, a lunch meeting or a developer stand up to be like, look, we're going to use, for example, in Laravel, we're going to use form requests, objects for validation and not inline controller validation or vice versa. Whatever it is, the point is, is that you had to take some time to make those decisions and, and therefore you kind of have to live by them better or worse because it just takes a little longer to turn the ship <laughs> at that point. So. Yeah. yeah, I like that metaphor actually. Yeah. Well, let's get into kind of, you know, back to the tactics here. Um, the regroup, and I think you mentioned it already, but it's kind of funny because it's the one time I end up um, using comments is, is actually for kind of like pseudocode or to do those kind of tracer bullets or breadcrumbs or whatever people like to call them. But basically the next step is I kind of go in to that big block. I've kind of recognized the level. So now I have this decision point and now I can kind of regroup the blocks of code to smaller blocks and kind of give them just a little temporary comment tag to be like, okay, this, these next five lines do the validation. You know, these next 10 lines are all about saving it to the database. And in a way, it's almost reverse pseudocoding in my mind, because anytime I write new code, I, I tend to write some pseudocode. This is kind of the opposite of that. You don't even have to leave comments if you don't want to. You can just do line breaks or whatever, just or, or resort the code or just move things up and down in your editor to kind of group things together however you want. But the point is, I think when you group them, you'll start to be able to more easily tell, okay, this deals with validation, and I decided that I'm at like a level three and I all my other validation is done at level two. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like you'll often find, I think with some of these big blocks is they are quite procedural. So you've kind of got this, this process flowing through and, and, and part of like, well, you know, what we talked about last week with using objects, I think is another good way of breaking up that procedural code into uh, more expressive, more readable code. I think that's, you know, probably getting a little bit out of order with what we're talking about, though. <laughs> no, I mean, it's actually, I think it's actually perfect because, I mean, the third kind of step in the process is refactor. And I think to the point you're getting at, like, you might see that this sub block as part of the larger block of code is very procedural. And now the refactor opportunity here is to use an object. Yeah. And I think, you know, like what you talked about in, in the book and, and I think we've talked about before is you'll often take these these code comments that you've written and they may actually end up becoming, you know, the method names or the object names so that when you're at this high level code, you're just reading 
and it might say, you know, validate. And if the code you're trying to understand, you don't care how it's validated, you can just skip past that one line that's saying validate this. Yeah. But it, but if you need to drill down, because if, if what you're dealing with, if the change you're making involves validation, then you know that's the path I dig down. But you haven't had to read all of the validation logic to get to that. That's what I find the beauty of that pseudocode is not only are you using human terms, which of course are going to be more readable, but I find that almost at this unconscious level, you're writing the API that you want. Because in a way, it's like built into this process, like, oh, I'm just I'm making a comment, so it's no big deal. But yeah, when you go back and revisit these sub blocks that you split up, I think it's super effective because of that kind of unconscious trick that now when you refactor, it's almost like, just look at that comment and make that code real. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's yeah, like what you were saying earlier about the the approach when you're writing new code when you're doing the pseudo the pseudocode approach where you just write you know the description it really is like you're saying it's it's happening it's it's using the exact same methodology except in this case you already have the implementation so you're just you're just moving it but it's yeah it's the same approach for sure so getting into refactor a little bit and and also i guess kind of tied in maybe to some of that stress is a lot of the times when I think developers refactor code and, and, you know, I'm guilty of this too a lot is that I try to make, I force myself to try to make the code tighter, like, or smaller in a way. And, and again, we've kind of already talked about how that shouldn't necessarily be the goal, but for whatever reason, it, it still seems to be this tendency. So what I think is important, and I kind of talk about it more in, in the book, is you have to realize that code is mathematical in the sense that it is kind of this harmonious equation, like it's a balanced equation. And I guess sticking to kind of the mathematics of it, whatever you do to kind of one piece of your code, you kind of have to do like the equal and opposite somewhere else, right? So like, you know, if you have things on each side of the equal sign, if you subtract five from one side of the equal sign, you have to subtract five on the other side of the equal sign, right? Like a very mathematical thing. And if you treat your code the same way, you start to realize that there's no way you can take five lines of code and make it one unless you make a nasty line noise one-liner or you find a native piece of code through the framework or language or even you know a package uh, or a dependency or something that offers you that functionality embedded, right? But it's still even not less code. You've just found someone that's already abstracted that for you. <laughs> yeah, I think a really good example is, you know, some of the frameworks and that they might have like a throw if. So instead of saying, if this, throw this exception, you've just got throw if, and then all that it's doing is moving that exact same if statement somewhere else. But it means that then this, this particular guard clause or whatever it is, it doesn't create as much line noise because it has been moved somewhere else. And one thing I always find myself wishing is that, you know, the languages I used had like a return if, <laughs> because returning is the one thing you can't kind of conditionally do or not do unless you put it inside an if statement. Switch to Ruby. <sighs> Maybe one day. <laughs> <laughs> they, have, they have a return if. That's the whole point. And, and I think it's just one of those things that kind of, if you realize this and kind of embrace that, again, I think it takes off a little bit of that maybe stress or a little bit of that edge that you might have when you're like, you know, you've kind of honored this process. You've done step one to recognize the level. You've done step two to regroup it. And now kind of you're like really, of course, anxious and you want to take several lines and make them one. 
And the reality is, is again, that's just not really possible unless an abstraction already exists for you, again, through the language or the framework or a library, or you write that abstraction yourself. And of course, some things you can't write, like return if, so I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but you can refactor probably your code that you've written. And so I think that's just an important kind of higher level piece is, is just that you can't turn five lines into one. Like it's just not, it's not going to happen in a less complex, more readable way. What you can do is abstract the code. And so maybe we can finish up by kind of talking about, you know, our methods for abstracting. Yeah. And one of the, the benefits to me of doing that is it makes the code more testable especially at a unit level. Um, and that can be a good way to start the refactoring process is by creating unit tests for, you know, these other levels. Um, one of the things I really like about that is when you've got a big block of code and you're trying to test it, you have potentially, you know, thousands of scenarios that could happen because you've got in this particular section here, there's a number of scenarios and then in another, you know, a bit further down, you've got all these scenarios. So they all compound together to create a, a very, very hard to test situation. Whereas if you can create, you know, unit level tests for these things, you can test the scenarios for that. And then you can test the scenarios for the other things separately, but it lets you cover those edge cases, I think, in a way that's much more readable from a testing point of view, at least I find. I think bringing it back maybe a little bit to kind of the, the process and the code at hand, like... Oftentimes, I, I kind of make the decision of, you know, how do I want to abstract this? And it's really between two choices. It's, do I go full on and make this its own object with its own methods? And I think that's a pretty obvious choice if you have, you know, kind of enough weight to something. Like, if there are enough of those sub-blocks that you're breaking up that make sense to warrant its own object... But a lot of the times I'm super comfortable just abstracting to like a private method with just a really apt name, you know, some, a real descriptive name, potentially, you know, what some developers might even consider a long or verbose name, a very human readable name to demonstrate, like checking if this exists or something, you know, or um, create if necessary. Like that was something that when I wrote Objective-C, you know, I spent about two years writing Objective-C and it's like super verbose in those names and it has like named parameters so it just reads like a sentence and at first it was like so annoying and I just totally embraced it after a while and now I find that no matter what language I'm in I end up kind of writing those verbose method names you know like yeah I know what you mean about that I've um I think some of my you know previous co-workers would definitely accuse me of writing some very 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 long method names that are you know, trying to describe exactly what's happening. Um, there's a good balance, I think, between, you know, writing a descriptive name, but then also just writing like a novel. <laughs> yeah, I think I think it's pretty obvious when those get too long and, and obvious words that you can cut out. Again, I, I don't think the goal is to make it entirely sentence readable. I mean, you can definitely drop some, you know, verbs and pronouns and adjectives here and there. Like if, <laughs> if it's like this fully complete sentence, then uh, yeah, that's probably gone too far. So, but yeah, I mean, I think this was a chapter um, I really enjoyed. Again, I think it was probably one of the most, if not the most tactical in the book. It's one that I practice every day, to be honest. Like anytime I'm encountering even code I've written, you know, I'll end up writing like you do, the, just kind of the naive version of it. And I don't pressure myself to make it, you know, super perfect or, 
even know if I'm new to a language or a framework. I don't force myself to know, well, how do they do that? I just write it kind of the naive way. And then I'll go back and apply this process and, and be like, okay, this is doing validation. Okay, does this framework do, how do they do validation? Like maybe better than this. And that's a Google search at that point. Like, you know, Laravel validation, boom, you got a whole documentation page. You can spend a few minutes reading and then jump right to step three, refactor that into something a lot nicer, a lot tighter, a lot more readable and expressive using that framework. Yeah, it's a really it's a really satisfying step. I mean, all of the processes in the book are actually quite satisfying when you when you apply them in terms of after you've finished, you look back at what you've created. It's it's really satisfying. Um, but this one in particular, yeah, I find really satisfying. You know, it's almost like code porn. <laughs> you can like, you know, look at what you've had and then look at what the new thing is. Do you think we'll have to mark explicit for that one? Probably not. We might have to, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. We're still new to that part. Yeah. Uh, people haven't yelled at us in a few weeks, so let's. <laughs> I'm going to leave it unchecked. We'll see what happens. Sorry, folks. But you know what I mean, right? Like when you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. When, when you finish at the end of the day, you have this thing that you actually. Yeah. You can be more, more proud of, I guess. And it's, it's just satisfying. Sure. And to your point, if you're armed with tests, it, it might not even be that painful of an experience. Like this can be a really quick you know, kind of that boy scouting, leave it better than you found it kind of thing that you can do even before you start writing new code. Like if you are going to have to work on, you know, this class that the average method length is 50 or 100 lines, like it might make sense to apply these, this big block, you know, practices to it first and then go from there, especially if you're armed with tests so you can trust that you're not, you know, going to break something <laughs> or introduce bugs by by the refactor. So which is good. So, but yeah, I mean, that's probably, that's probably all I have to, to say on it, you know, as far as the podcast go, obviously I say a lot more in the book. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, anything else from you? Otherwise we'll wrap it on up. No, just that I think it's one of the harder things to, to apply in terms of the book. I guess it can be quite daunting when you have these big blocks and especially when when they've grown over time. They started off small. You've set up, you know, a way of doing something. You might have an if statement or a switch statement and it started off nice and small, but then over time you've added more and more conditions and more and more conditions until it does feel really overwhelming. So all that is to say is that I do understand that it can be very, very hard to recognize sometimes ways to break it down. Yeah, for sure. It can be. So hopefully, hopefully there's some tactics here. And like I said, more in the book. And I even have, I think a couple of YouTube videos I did early on where like people submitted um, some big blocks of code and I, I tried to break them up. They're obviously going to be pretty PHP or Laravel specific, but uh, you definitely check those out if you want to see this kind of in action because it definitely helps to see, but hopefully there's some ideas that you got from this too. Yeah. Cool. So yeah, but again, uh, leave us uh, a rating in your player, uh, if you will, or reviews even better. Uh, and of course, you can always hit us up on Twitter. Glad to start getting some more feedback as we are kind of, we're kind of over the hill. So we're over the halfway mark here with the practices. So there's 10 practices in the book. This was practice five big blocks. So we've got five more and then either that's curtains or we're going to move on to other stuff. So again, Definitely welcome your feedback to kind of figure out what we want to do next. Yeah. And in terms of next week, we've got a uh, particularly tricky one, naming things. Ooh, is naming things next? I thought naming things was next. Maybe I'm wrong. 
Oh my god, I authored my own book and I don't even know. Let's check on the website. Yeah, you're right. Chapter 6 is naming. Naming things, yep. Naming stuff is hard, as we learned so with hard. the podcast name. Uh-oh. Hashtag too soon. Yeah. So, yeah, so we'll cut it off here. You good? I'm good. All right, well, we'll cut it there. I will talk to you next week. Sounds good. All right, see you. See ya. Show notes for this episode can be found at basecodefieldguide.com slash five.